Alrighty, Ilona Brannan. Hello, thank you, and welcome to joining this podcast today. Um, Ilona is a LD professional who plays in the consulting slash strategic space. Um, but before we delve into that, how did you get into LD? Well, well, I had a bit of a circuitous route. Um, so I started my learning career, I think when I was born, uh, in that my mum and dad are both teachers, mm -hmm. so I'm the product of teachers. So we had a lot of conversations about education growing up, um, and they told me not to become a teacher, and I did. <laughs> and then I backed out of that. Um, but I taught English in Japan, and I um, then thought about becoming um, an art curator, so I was sort of teaching art education in Inisu for a bit. Um, and then actually joined the foreign office, but it didn't suit my personality to be um, in civil service. So then I decided to become a teacher on the Teach First program, um, stayed there for a few years and then moved to where we met um, and then became a consultant. And in the consulting bit, I just specialized in learning and development and was fascinated by the technology mm -hmm. and education technology. Um, subsequently, I then went to Cuba and studied the internet in Cuba and its impact on the change that was happening because they didn't have internet and then they had a little bit of internet. And so I went and researched out there um, and have actually traveled the whole, well, not the whole world, but quite a lot of the world, understanding education technology and its application in different locations. Oh. So now I work on a learning platform in London, so it makes sense that I eventually sort of joined a startup world with technology um, and combined all my different loves of learning and technology and also business. Wow. And did you learn any languages in that time? I'd learned a few. I learned Japanese, uh, mm -hmm. and Spanish, and um, Italian, because those were the places I lived. Um, and interestingly enough, I learned Spanish at the age, at the tender age of 29. And I took my Spanish GCSE with my students because I wanted to support oh, wow. them. So I sat in the hall next to them, scribbling away with my GCSE, got my GCSE result the same day, and I was sweating, my friend, sweating when I had to open that envelope because <laughs> I was like, I hope I passed. If I haven't passed, this is terrible. Thankfully, I got an A, but oh, my God, I was really nervous. I didn't want get, to get a fail with them. <laughs> wow, so you're L&D extraordinaire and linguistic. Ling linguist, is that what you say, linguist? Is that what you... I don't know, Dan. I'm not very good at English. <laughs> <laughs> and, and me, apparently. You speak different languages as well, though, don't you? Um, I've got a little bit. You speak London, you speak English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've got a tiny bit of Portuguese when I spent, I had a little stint in, in Brazil. So I kind of picked it up as yeah. I went. So I was there for six months and picked it up quite naturally. Learning a lot of slang, so... There was times when I was offending people and not actually realising. Um, that's, that's a bit for an Essex boy. That's right, yeah. And then I came back and joined the world of L&D. So I kind of stumbled in it really through my multimedia degree, I guess. Yeah, no, no. I remember you telling me about that with, the, with all the multimedia stuff. Um, do you think, this is a question for you, but I'm thinking about it for me too, what impact do you think living abroad had on you in terms of influencing your L&D career? Interesting. I think it just gave me perspective. Um, just my ability to just see something through the lens 
of somebody else just I, I think has helped me patience was definitely a one because people probably had to be patient with me when I was learning Portuguese um, I totally agree I think uh, definitely do, I think living abroad and experiencing that develops empathy resilience um, and yeah patience 100% mm. I remember going into the, when I lived in Japan I spoke no Japanese and going into the supermarket and being like what one of these is butter mm. just looking at the cupboard <laughs> I was just like I don't know which one's butter <laughs> you know you feel so helpless you're just like I don't know I yeah. don't know so then you're sort of reliant on the kindness of strangers a lot of the time because like, I don't know what's going on and I guess that helps with uh, L&D because you realize we're all learning all the time every single second of the day mm. in various ways and actually if you can help someone you know solve that problem like what's butter in Japanese and mm. uh, you know you feel good and you're helping someone yeah so good. you know what that's just triggered a memory I had when I was on a train in the metro in, in Brazil I needed to get to the beach and I didn't know what stop to get off oh you're going to the beach yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh I must have looked quite quite ruffled um and someone came up to me and thankfully they spoke English as well but they told me what um, station I needed to get off at and cause that's how I've kind of seen my role in L&D someone comes to me with a problem and then I kind of help them through solving that so a few weeks ago you sent me a link and it was titled 10 L&D job descriptions to help you design build and recruit an agile team and then that got me thinking if I was going to build an L&D team what would it look like so I started writing down my team on a piece of paper and it was clear that it didn't look very realistic because it was very content creation focused. So Alona, with your help and experience, I'd like to explore what a realistic L&D team on, in today's world looks like. Um, but before we unpack that, would you like to explain what your superpowers are and what you do for a living? So I am... Um currently the head of pre-sales now pre-sales is pretty snazzy because it kind of means that I do a bit of consulting I do a bit of digital design stuff because I work for a company that sells learning platforms and I also do business performance so kind of like an, a triptych of design tech and business performance which means that it's really varied and interesting and I work with a range of clients be that global FTSE 100 or Fortune 500, whatever yeah. the thing is, <laughs> those <laughs> kinds of companies, to smaller smaller companies as well. But I love the range. And also seeing the digital transformation happening within L&D. I think for some reason, L&D's behind or just tagging into this digital transformation. I think other departments probably went first. And traditionally, L&D was almost like a cost center for the business. Yeah. And now it's being seen more as an integral component of driving business performance. So this is where the shift is happening. So my superpowers are incredible intelligence. Humility. My superpowers when I'm working with clients and stuff is empathy. So I can build good rapport and understand their needs at a really deep level. Um, strategy, genuinely, and I think mixed in with that is a bit of creativity. So you want to, like, ultimately, companies go, Ilona, I want to get here, you know, like the X sort of goal. And I'm like, cool, 
this is how you could do it, like this way or this way, um, and give them sort of advice on how to achieve that. Um, And then my third superpower, I think stakeholder management. Mm. Yeah, again, that's probably linked into the empathy thing, but it's an important thing. Sometimes L&D can be quite a little bit, well, it can be a little bit political. Mm. So knowing how to kind of, be able to manage all the different stakeholders and stuff is really important when you're at this kind of stage of your career. Mm. Why, why do you think L&D teams in particular, in general, have been a lot slower than other departments? Um, I think potentially it was because they were almost like a response to the business. So a, a senior stakeholder would go to them, say, I need the course. They did design the course and deliver it, right? Mm. So it was like almost like a reaction. Now it's more that they have to be working alongside right. the team and actually thinking about, okay, you know, and it's a much quicker turnaround. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, I think digital learning suddenly got really sexy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, like a, a few years ago, you know, if you said to someone, hey, um, I'm into e-learning, people would be like, oh, my God, back out now. Mm. This person's super nerd. Now it's like the sexiest thing on earth. Everybody wants to do digital learning and everyone's into it, making courses or, you know, everyone knows they can learn online now. It's not a mystery. So I think the combo of those things has meant that it's finally now being transformed in a digital way. Yeah. So have you seen L&D's kind of shift in how they are structured now in this new kind of agile, agile world? Um, I always get a bit nervous when people say agile because I still don't really know what it means. I think it just means everybody does everything really quickly. But um, if we're talking true agile, I think, yeah, it's that shift away from like waterfall method, right? So if someone comes to you, you do the project and you release it and that's that, to really working alongside um, a department or a function of a business um, and really driving performance um, so that it's almost like smaller, sharper, quicker interventions rather than like, I'll design you a whole course. No, actually I'll design you some key performance aids, some job Mm. aids, or I will capture really quickly the subject matter expert and share their knowledge and get that out to as many people as possible in a really quick and easy way. Okay. Um, So let's kind of construct our ideal L and D team. Yeah. What does that, that that's part one, right? So I think honestly with any team, it's always important to really get on with your team. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think with L and D it's important to get on, create that sense of belonging, but also to then generate that sense of creativity and openness because you're creating a lot of the time and you're creating, you're solving problems, uh, that need to be solved really quickly. So I think definitely people who are open and creative and, and all that jazz and are willing to share and collaborate. You don't want people, who, can you imagine, right? You made an asset, be that, you know, amazing Dan, he did this video thing and you didn't, imagine if like we said, when we met, I asked you for help with a video, you helped me. Mm. You kind of need that sort of personality, I think. Yeah. Because otherwise you just wouldn't have as good, assets or materials and you kind of need to pick up loads of different skills along the way i'd say as well for me um the other key bit that you need in your L D team 
other than content creators, yes, you want things to look great, maybe like an animator or a graphic designer, but you also need to think about something called a performance consultant. So essentially, that's the business bit of my job. So looking at, all right, if I design this course, what is the impact on the business if this goes well, yep. right? So someone come to you and said, I have a problem in the business. We're not selling enough X, right? So my boss will say that to me. We need to sell more X. And so I think, right, I need to design certain things that will help people fulfill their job better, be that product knowledge or just, you know, techniques, things like that. But then there's also an element of designing interventions like coaching or peer, like coaching, yeah. et cetera, or one-to-one -one coaching. Yeah. But then what's that metric? So in, in this example, it would be sales, right? So I'm taking the baseline today. We sell X amount. If I do this intervention in six months' time, we are going to sell Y amount. Mm -hmm. And there should be a, cha a change in that. So that's a really important component. And I'd say the other one that I'm trying to develop within myself is the data skills. Right, okay. So, you know, we, especially if you think about all the digital learning, right? So we're, we're, we're people who've grown up now with this digital learning evolution, mm -hmm. right? So we've gone to the days where you scrolled through a web page. Now it's really loads of different places. And in companies, they usually have a, learning system or a learning platform that they can use to host their assets well that's a lot of data right yeah that's going to be on these platforms so you need someone who can analyze that data link it to the business data and show that kind of correlation yeah and is that is that a full-time job in itself or did you find that these l d um professionals kind of wear multiple hats it's a multiple hat kind of life, I think, in yeah. L&D. But I think, again, that lends itself well to the type of personalities that tend to go into L&D. They like learning. They're interested and curious people generally. Yeah. Um, so I think that's definitely a component. And I suppose it depends on the size of your organisation um, and how much data you need to collect. Yeah. Um, and just going back to the, was it the performance consultant? Is that just a fancy name for an instructional designer? Or is it a different type of skill? No, it's a different thing. A, a fancy name for an instructional designer is a learning experience designer. Okay. So a learning experience designer is, so traditional instructional design was face-to-face -face training, right? And you did train the trainers, you did your training guides, and you did your materials, and that's kind of, you did the design for that. Yeah. Learning experience design, as far as I understand the evolution of the, the concept, is where you actually think about that from a digital component too. Right. So you've got to design the digital assets as well as the face-to-face -face and have that whole blended approach. So with the digital uh, learning designer, you need to know things like user experience or a little bit of graphic design, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And then you're combining that with the instructional bit. So the learning part as well. So a performance consultant is just looking at the business outcomes for your learning. Mm -hmm. So... You know, if you think about, um, you, you know, a project that you've worked on, what was the purpose of the project? It was to shift a behaviour right. of something. Or someone, or, yeah. Or someone, yep. To? To make them better at something. 
because ultimately, yeah, 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 you're guessing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got it. I think I got it right. <laughs> no, right, no. So you got it. Like as in, you're designing learning to yeah. shift a behaviour in someone to ultimately drive a change in the business. So even yes. if it's diversity and inclusion, right? You're, you know, you tell me about that great project you worked on, right? So diversity and inclusion. Mm. You designed that intervention, you delivered it to the people so that you increase their understanding of diversity and inclusion to ultimately mean that the place that you work has greater awareness and like response to diversity and inclusion. Mm. So then more people would progress, be included, uh, you have a greater sort of, um, you know, maybe an NPS score, right? So the performance consultant is looking at how can you show the, the impact on the business, so if you went back and did that project again, I would look at whatever the diversity and inclusion survey metrics were for that year. You release the content, do the survey again. Has it improved? Mm. That's how you know I you've see. done something that makes a difference, right? I see. So is this a new kind of skill set? And are these are these types of roles becoming more prominent in L&D teams? I think, again, it's one of those evolving skill set things, right? So... If if we think about how L&D is shifting, right, again, from not being just a separate standalone like component of an organization, but really being part of driving the business performance, because they want to do that, right? Because mm-hmm. they need people to learn stuff. So, like, you know, in the company we were at before, they wanted to have more artificial intelligence, yeah. like, skills so data blah 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 so ultimately why is that so they can increase the amount of like time that people dedicate to solving those sorts of projects and those problems Mm. but they had to think about what was coming in the future right um i think with performance consulting it's something that nnd teams need to develop it's that ability to link the the business and the learning together Mm. I think you in the bigger organisations, you might have a standalone job role for that. But obviously, in smaller organisations, they'll be part of a many-hat approach. Yeah, okay. And have you seen many roles in L&D starting to phase out or become not become relevant anymore? I think, I think the face-to-face trainer might not right. be so common, right? Mm. Especially with COVID, most of the people I speak to now... They're telling me, so we, you know, this is conversations I've been having the past couple of weeks. Um, It is literally, we used to have face-to-face training, 80% to 20%. We want to flip that to have 20% face-to-face training and 80% digital. Yeah. And I think, like I if you think of that ratio, that flip, that's almost like an indicator for the wider change that's happening in L&D. So instead of it being face-to-face, it's more digital now. Yeah, but digital doesn't necessarily mean the end of the face-to-face training, right? They, they still do virtual training. So is, is that like a, a skill that needs to evolve in itself, converting the face-to-face trainer to a, a virtual facilitator? Yeah, for sure. I think, absolutely. I think that will be the way in which, if you know, you have to adapt and get that skill set of virtual facilitation. I think, however, it's, a slightly different skill set. So I think in-face facilitation is a skill set. I think virtual facilitation is a skill set. Mm. And I also think digital learning design is another skill set. 
they're all yeah. different, slightly different variants, right? Because if you think about, um, you know, the, it, it's going to bl- generally be a blended approach. I would be surprised yeah. if in like five years' time you just have someone with like a, a booklet, you know, a paper booklet, face-to-face, you have three days and then you go. I just don't see that happening. I think you're mm. going to have... I'll send you digital assets beforehand. I'll capture stuff when we're there digitally. I'll share it afterwards. And it will be all part of a wrapped around experience. Mm. Um, and I think we're just going to see less physical face-to-face opportunities. Yeah, I agree. Because um, I've been looking at, particularly with, with COVID, there's been a, an immediate need to shift face-to-face classroom yep. workshops into virtual offerings and you can't just it's not just a standard conversion that you know the learn design piece of that is is a skill set in itself yeah 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 absolutely absolutely you cannot lift and shift as they say um face to face into digital learning just by maybe pdfing that booklet right you can't do it and then we're done um when you're when well in my experience designing digital learning um, it's much more cognitive. Mm-hmm. So you have to think about each and every component of the thinking. So face-to-face, you can kind of get away with it being more about your personality and like kind of building rapport with the people in the room. Online, if there's like a, if there's a jolt in the way of delivery or the thinking, or it's too hard mm-hmm. for people to make that connection, they just switch off and then log off and that's it. They're gone. Yeah. So you um, always need to try and figure out how you maintain those face-to-face elements and how you can replicate that in a digital environment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to have interactivity Yeah. built in. And even if it's – it has to be slightly forced. It's designed interactivity. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when I do webinars, I say to people, you know, drop, drop a comment in the chat, blah, 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 just to keep people engaged. Yeah. Um, little you know like on um a particular webinar software we can't name names but on a webinar software they have like the thumbs up button or the clapping button again little bits of functionality like that i think are going to increase to just make it more engaging yeah um so yeah i think i think that's that's a real key component but yeah the the three areas i think of design that is shifting is You've got digital assets. So what I mean by that is like a video, PDF, infographic, that kind of thing. Then you've got virtual facilitation. That's another realm. And then you've got knowledge management. Because I think you're right. At the moment, everyone's going, ah, I need to convert all my face-to-face to to online training. I need to do it now. Otherwise, we've lost all the revenue and no one's going to be learning anything. So we've got to do it now. That's been this phase. But now we've got all those assets, right? We've got all those recorded sessions. We've got all those things that have been created. How do you actually manage it so that it doesn't become just like your stuff folder on your laptop where everything gets chucked and then no one finds it again? Right. So our systems now need to start evolving to manage all of this content. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Because like in you need a library, right? The Dewey system like in the library, do you know what the Dewey system is? No. The Dewey system in the library is the decimal system. So, you know, when you go to the library, it used to have, did you used to go to the library, Dan? I've been two or three times. 
<laughs> so you know, you know, you know, you know. And if you wanted a particular section of the library, it was under this number. So yeah. you know, the like, history section of the library, etc. So the the system there was to help categorise the books, the information. Yeah. You with me so far? I'm with you. Good, great. So you you need that for all the assets and all the things you've just created. So that's where I think the data and the art, like, it's not really, it's just data. And so you like tagging or categorizing. Oh, okay. So that people can find that, that stuff again. Otherwise you're just creating again and again and again and again, or people can't find the asset again. So they're like, well, that's useless. Mm. You have to be able to search, you know, think about that component, that searching, tagged correctly otherwise it's a vast repository of stuff so it feels like the lms almost needs to evolve yeah well i mean that's kind of why i have the job i have right i work for a learning platform and that's what we think about we think about how what does that future state look like what are we doing currently and how are we going to be able to you know have all these components um I like to think of like an LMS as a library, right? So there's some, something to go get on a shelf. You take it off, you read it, you put it back on the shelf. Whereas I suppose your learning experience platform is more like you get served stuff. So someone's coming up to you going, would you like this book, Dan? Would you like this book? And I guess what we need to do is then think about what's the next iteration of that where it's almost like an interactive whiteboard space mm. library with bean bags and loads of things to like enjoy and have fun with like that's kind of the next thing awesome awesome okay so just quickly going back to my l d team so if i had a space for one position in each category or in each area what would the ideal future fit l d team look like so We've got to have an we've got to have an instructional designer and an e-learn developer, right? Okay, all right. Well, I don't know. No. I don't know. Could you have maybe a digital learning designer so that they have maybe maybe the video skills, the instructional design skills, uh, maybe, and maybe animation, so mm. that kind of thing. I've kind of seen them as um, kind of real. I, I think they can flex between both, but I, I think they're very they're both specialist skills i don't know if wearing both of those hats you get the best benefit out of them i don't know yeah okay all right so instructional designer do we need e-learning why'd you say that because well i guess is i guess is it the only way you can deliver learning to your learners uh no so there's a whole curation piece i guess is that what you're alluding to well, I mean, yeah, so in terms of creating content, you've got um, like an e-learning developer, mm-hmm. but then other ways you can create content is like what you're doing right now. So you could make a podcast, that's still learning. Sure. You can make a video, that's still learning. You can make a, a animation, a graphic, like, you know, an infographic, that's all still learning. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you just have an e-learning developer, is that enough? Mm. good question and i guess a lot of the tools now that are out there make it very easy to create content um yeah well i mean that's kind of the the goal right i mean if you think about people on 
um, Instagram and YouTube, they are creating learning materials. Like lot, I mean, it's millions of videos on on YouTube that are how to how to do X, how to do Y. Remember when I got I, I got stung by a bee on my way to work one morning, and uh, I had to Google what do I do with a bee sting because obviously it was swelling up. And so I went onto YouTube and I watched a video about what to do with a bee sting. So that's kind yeah. of our methodology of uh, <laughs> I went on YouTube learning, the other day to right? find out how to tie a Windsor knot in my tie because it's quite a smart knot. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me, Dan. No. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, okay, so we've got an instructional designer and e-learning developer, that, but that could be one person. And then I'm guessing a performance consultant, which is which I feel now is becoming a lot more essential for the business? Yes, I think they're the person who talks to the business, makes sure that the, the right things are being built and looks at the metrics to do with what's the shift in the performance, right? So, you know, if it's, if it's a case of onboarding um, your staff, right, that's a key thing. Onboarding's not great, so we want to improve onboarding. So reduce onboarding time and then increase the speed at which someone is good at their job. Because mm-hmm. if you think if you can reduce that time and someone gets good at their job quicker because they know what they need to do, then that makes the company like save money because yep. it's less cost to the business. So you need someone who can understand that, the business element linked to the learning. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Which is my job. So that's why you need them. Okay, so then I guess the other role is then just the the data person, and I'm going to bundle them in with LMS person as well. Or are they two separate roles? Yeah, I, no, I, I think you, that's probably a good starting point yeah. for an L and D team. So you need someone who can manage the tech, yeah. the technology. Um, so for sure, and then yeah, a component of that job, as well as managing the system, is then maybe managing the data. To, to do with the system so that would work quite well okay cool so any other roles so we've got four so technology person elon developer instructional designer and performance consultant would there be any others that you would add in your team it depends on the size of my organization right mm. so we we were lucky where we were before there was loads well there were loads of us in the sense that it's a big organization so there were loads of people there and but often in smaller organizations, L&D teams are like three people. So I think sometimes it, it just depends on the resource the resource that you have. Yeah. Um, I think one way that L&D teams can help with that, if they're resource constraint, is actually finding what I think, what I term as learning champions mm. across the business. So say you're in a... Uh, car company i'm just using a car company because i'm mad for cars at the moment i want a car i want a really flash car but it's never going to happen i live in london what's the point but anyway um you're a car company you've got engineering um you've got maybe sales for the car dealerships and stuff you've got um hr for the actual company and maybe marketing and stuff right so thinking about like that Um, maybe you've got someone in each of those functions in a business who is the learning champion for that business. Right. So someone who in in sales is the learning champion. So they're almost like an extended member of the L&D team. So then that salesperson, that sales learning champion can come to the L&D team and say, hey, 
like the sales, you know, we need to improve sales. Let's talk about what we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's how they can do it. And then those learning champions can source from those functions, the subject matter experts to help create that content and get it captured and shared as quickly as possible. Mm. So I guess LND teams are kind of going in the right direction for them. I think they've just probably had to flip and move and reschool quite quickly to adapt to uh, disruption. Yeah, and I don't think that's going to change because I think the next wave of cool stuff to get involved with with LND will be augmented reality. I think mm-hmm. that's going to be an interesting component, especially if we think about the flip from face-to-face to more digital. So I guess, you know, thinking about then the next iteration of that where you almost have digital within a face-to-face, mm-hmm. <laughs> that could be really yeah. cool. Um, and then virtual reality, because if we're not going to be meeting up as much in a post-COVID world physically, maybe we need to create the bonds of being face-to-face in a virtual environment. So virtual reality could become, and then you might even have a virtual reality learning designer in like yeah. five years' time. How cool would that be? That would be pretty cool. I want that job already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's, let's go into that. So that's quite cool. And then I think uh, there's probably definitely like an artificial intelligence learning person at some point because yeah. the data will multiply and extrapolate. Um, but these are like far, far, far in the future. But, yeah. you know, at least we know in five years' time we want to be doing virtual reality learning design. So we've sorted out our career. That's fine. <laughs> that's good so we, all, so we almost need to um cause it's, it's it's around expectation is it we almost need to you know lnd function reflect what the learner expects or what they have the ability to do outside of the work environment yeah i think um, that's important like like i said with the youtube example right we're used to searching for stuff to learn yeah. if i have a problem you know you want to learn how to make a, yourself look sharper with a windsor knot you go and search it. Yeah. So that that is a learning thing, right? You yeah. search, you go off and search for it on the internet. So um, I think L&D teams need to have that component in, in what they're doing, like in the back of their mind as well. I suppose the one we haven't mentioned yet, which could be in your L&D team, is a curator. Right, okay. Because you're going to have so many assets now, right? that you almost need someone who can sift through and go, actually, Dan, this is what's good for you. Or something, you know, some way of managing that process. Or the tech needs to be able to personalise someone's learning experience. Yeah, yeah. Or or the tech does it. It depends how you've got going on. Interesting. Um, Yeah. All right, that was awesome. So to wrap up then... So what are some of the key things that L&D teams need to start or stop doing to future-proof themselves? Um, right, okay, let's think about stopping. Uh, they need to stop taking orders from the business. Okay. Right, and start working alongside the business to identify the key things that they can do to help. Mm-hmm. Um and I say that because, you know, sometimes the stakeholder that says I need something, I need this course or whatever, might not actually know what the user needs. They know what they need in terms yeah. of to achieve their goal, but they don't necessarily know what the user needs. They need to stop 
resisting the digital transformation because <laughs> it's <laughs> happening and start embracing yep. the digital transformation and get involved with all the skills because it's fun right you know i think sometimes people can be scared going well i'm a face-to-face trainer and it's like yeah but you could totally be a virtual facilitator now you can work with anyone anywhere it could yeah. be super cool you can be on a beach and facilitate like <laughs> get involved so you know sort of embrace the change um and i think they need to stop um Stop worrying about what might happen and start having fun along the way. Because I think sometimes L&D teams, especially when it's like a a tough time in the economy, some businesses, um, you know, cut L&D functions when it's a tough time in the economy. But I think L&D is actually a key core component of uh, business growth, in my opinion, going forward. And I think the L&D teams need to start like actually saying we're a great asset, we're amazing, and start shouting out about the great work that they do mm. and stop being so humble. <laughs> that was awesome. And I think one of our biggest assets now, I think you alluded to it earlier, was that because we have so much data now, we can actually become quite a strong strategic partner and start to drive lots of business decisions because we understand um, the behaviour of, of people through, through our data. Yeah, I agree. And it, it all comes back to that strategy bit. Mm. Um, what are we, you know, if we, you know, we even spoke about it in this, in this, uh, you know, call, but, but what's going to happen in the future is kind of just keeping your eye sort of like, well, what's happening, what's shifting. Um, and I guess it's that strategic vision bit. Mm. That's what us as leaders, we've got to do, Dan. That's right. To us now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me. This is great. No, thank you very much. And there's like so much more I could talk to you about. So I'm, I'm hoping that you can come and join me on another podcast sometime in the near future. But no, thank you very much.